Alright, this is one of those tricky Sundays. It's tricky for a lot of reasons. Certainly the ongoing coronavirus stuff makes, makes it tricky. It's also tricky just because there's a lot to communicate. I know that uh, the continued everything regarding the election is a source of a lot of pain and frustration and stress uh, in our communities in general. So uh, it made me really appreciate the music today, especially kind of to reorient my focus back towards God. So hopefully you had that feeling as well. And thank you as always to our praise and worship team for leading us and reminding us who is Lord. It's also uh, this Wednesday is Veterans Day and we do just want to take a minute to recognize our veterans who have served our country to make freedom possible for us. So uh, I, I wasn't didn't necessarily have a plan to do this, but if you have served as in any of our armed services, if you'd want to stand up for a second, I think a, a round of applause would be appropriate for that. And now I'm going to have to ask Mark, uh, Mark Vieno after the service when he was in the armed services. I didn't even, I didn't even know that. That's news to me. So I learned something today as well. Uh, but yeah, thank you for those who have served our nation in that way. Last week, we started a new sermon series here at Byfield on the book of 1 Corinthians. We looked at a passage from Acts 18 that told us about Paul's initial interactions with the people of Corinth. Hold on one second. The, the challenges of pointing people toward Jesus in that ancient city are very similar to the challenges that we face today. This week, the sermon, the scripture for the sermon will be from 1 Corinthians. But before we open our Bibles, it's important to remind ourselves what this book of the Bible is. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul to the church he had started in the year and a half he spent in the city. Now, letter writing is a lost art in our world. We communicate all the time. Emails, text messages, video chats, and social media. The mediums we use to communicate are fantastic for their convenience. They generally lack the substance that has historically been communicated in letters. As someone who enjoys history it is fascinating to go back and read the letters great women and men sent to one another in the past. Their communication is deeper and more thoughtful than you will find in the present day digital realm. One of the times I find myself encouraging others to write a letter or writing one myself is when there is division in a relationship. Letters are an effective medium for communicating in difficult situations. 
Whereas email often contributes to misunderstanding, a letter has a greater ability to clarify in a helpful way. I'm sure there are a lot of reasons this is the case. I think the main one is probably that sending a letter requires intentionality. You can't just type it up and hit send. This was especially true when Paul wrote to the Corinthians. At the time, letter writing was incredibly expensive due to the cost of the postal service. And the paper that went along with it, letters were only sent when it was important to do so. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians was written to deal with a difficult situation. Sending it was worth the effort. There was a tremendous amount of division in the church at Corinth. Bible scholar Ben Witherington writes in his book, Conflict and Community in Corinth, that in 1 Corinthians, Paul's primary task was to reconcile members of a faction-ridden congregation to each other. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, to begin exploring what God has to say to us through Paul's letters to a divided congregation 2,000 years ago. We will read through verse 9. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and we will read through verse 9. Chris, I'm going to go ahead and switch. All right, that's better. Hear the word. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sososthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to my God always. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way, you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Letters have a certain form that they are supposed to follow. If you were writing a formal letter, you would begin it with, to whom it may concern. Whenever I write that type of letter, I always have to look up whether or not it should be capitalized. For some reason, I can never remember that. 
In Paul's day, different types of letters had different formats that were supposed to be followed. Letters were, in most all cases, supposed to begin with a greeting. These verses we read today are the greeting for the letter of 1 Corinthians. Now, it's easy to just skim over the greeting. It can feel like a formality that must be gotten out of the way before the heart of the matter is addressed. In Paul's letters, the greetings are important. As he says hello, he's also laying the groundwork that he will continue to build upon throughout the remainder of the letter. Paul is writing this letter because he is concerned about division in the church. He doesn't waste any time beginning to address this division. In the greeting, he makes three points. One, the church belongs to God. Two, through Christ, God gives the church everything it needs, not just to survive, but to thrive. And three, God is faithful to his church. If these three points were lived out in the local church, there would be no division within it. The three points again are the church belongs to God. Through Christ, God gives the church everything it needs, not just to survive, but to thrive. And God is faithful to his church. First, the church belongs to God. This is an easy fact to forget. We want people to feel a sense of ownership for their church. It's not supposed to be a social club, although churches often turn into social clubs. They become places to get together with others that are similar culturally and socioeconomically. A slightly more religious version of the Lions Club or a less expensive country club. Scripture asks followers of Christ to invest their lives in local communities of belief. Not just their money or time, but their emotion, their whole selves. The church is supposed to be the defining community of a person's life. It's not a place we go on Sundays, it is a network of relationships that determines how we go about our lives in every other area. The more of a person's life they pour into a church, the more they feel they should be able to control. You see this play out in very negative ways in a lot of churches. Someone who gives a lot of money to the church will communicate explicitly or implicitly that the music should be music they enjoy because of the money they have given to the church. A person who has been at, church, at a church for a very long time will think that their preference should determine the future of the church because of their longevity. Often, it's not so much that people want that make up a church want things to happen in a certain way for selfish reasons. 
Their convictions are earnestly held. A certain thing should be done a certain way for the simple reason that they think it is the best way to complete the church's disciple-making mission. One question I often ask Christians in a church context is, what is the experience of Christian community that you feel was the most personally positive? Think about that question right now. When you think about all your church experiences, what do you remember the most fondly? For me, it was my high school youth group. When I was a kid, I was quiet, shy, and a bit awkward. From the time I was in about eighth grade through high school, I had this tremendous experience of being in a relatively small youth group. I made lifelong friends there. Adult leaders invested in me. I had the opportunity to mature in my faith. I grew as a leader. I went on mission trips to Cleveland, Ohio, the mountains of Western North Carolina, Chicago, Jamaica, and a Navajo Indian reservation in the high desert of Northeast Arizona. I realized a few years ago that ever since that youth group, I have been trying to recreate a similar spiritual environment. You are probably trying to do the same thing for whatever spiritual environment you have the best experience with. It may be a Bible study, choir, or ministry program. This is not bad, but it might be misguided. God works through a multitude of environments. He is forever new. While past experiences can inform how we try to do church in the present, God is in no way constrained by what worked best for any individual. The church doesn't belong to Christians. Christians belong to the church. The church is God. Let's read verse 2 again. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You know what's missing from this verse? Any indication that the church belongs to the individual's that make it up. The church belongs to God. It is made possible by Jesus' sanctification and calling. Jesus is Lord of the church. God made him Lord. Any authority we have is contingent authority. The church is supposed to be carrying out Jesus' plans for the world. My preferences, your preferences, or anybody's preferences for the church aren't decisive. Jesus is Lord. A church will be unified to the extent that the people that make it up look to Jesus as Lord. 
He does not exercise his lordship in a dictatorial fashion. One surprising thing about the New Testament is that it doesn't really tell us how to do church. It's kind of weird. There are indications in the Bible about how the early church operated. Historians have some educated guesses. But nowhere does it describe what church should look like with any detail. Church is a relationship that we have with Jesus and fellow believers. Not a set of rules we follow or a tradition we maintain to be unified as a church. We must look to Jesus as Lord. He is not divided. Whatever divisions exist within a church are evidence that there is confusion about who that church belongs to. Every church belongs to God. He has made Jesus Lord. The grace and peace we seek comes from God through Jesus. Through Christ, God gives the church everything it needs, not just to survive, but to thrive. That's, this is the second point Paul is making in the greeting. Our tendency is to focus on the gifts a church needs to be successful. The Corinthians did the same thing. The church at Corinth had gifted people in abundance. They were enriched in speech and knowledge. At the time, speech and knowledge, logos and gnosis, were components of the ability to do rhetoric, which was this incredibly valuable skill. Much of the schooling in the ancient world was focused on rhetoric. Those who could do it were highly prized. Many of the individuals who made up the church at Corinth had the skills their culture valued in excess. They felt good about themselves. In their own minds, they were this awesome church. Look, look at us. Look at, look at all we're capable of. Paul is laying the groundwork in this greeting for a theme he will reiterate throughout the book. Successful churches are not the result of having talented people. It is nice to have people that are gifted. God gives people gifts to use in service of the church. In Corinth, that meant people who could do rhetoric. In today's churches, that means people that can create environments that feel comfortable, lead music effectively, or teach. The Corinthians had every skill they needed to be successful as a church, but we will see that they were not a successful church. They were a failing church. Their focus on their own giftedness blinded them to what they really needed. Instead of being used to build up the church, the gifts present were being used to tear the church apart. What a church is dependent on is not talented people. Churches are completely dependent on Jesus Christ. If you look closely at verses 
4 through 8, you notice that it is one long, rambling sentence. Paul doesn't particularly worry about grammar rules sometimes. In it, Paul highlights all the skills present in the church. What he is saying is true. By saying it, he is buttering up his readers to some extent. They already think they are awesome, but he's stroking their egos a bit. He is giving them a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. The medicine they need to swallow is the truth that their gifts and talents are insufficient. Jesus enriches. He sustains. The Bible scholar Gordon Fee writes in his commentary on these verses that Paul accomplishes two things. He gives genuine thanks to God, both for the Corinthians themselves and for God having gifted them. But at the same time, he redirects their focus. A healthy church will be one that is focused on the giver, not the gifts. Any church that ignores Jesus in favor of its own abilities will be a spiritually prideful church. Such churches may seem to be doing well for a while. Inevitably, they will be torn apart. They will collapse. Normally, this collapse comes about when the underlying divisions of the church rupture. Paul is concerned for the Corinthian church because he sees how their pride is increasing division that will end poorly. They think they are so exceptional. They're not wrong about how gifted they are. They're wrong in thinking their talents can sustain the church. Four times in this one sentence, Paul is pointing the Corinthians back back, back to Christ. What they need to hear is what every church needs to remember. The church is dependent on Jesus Christ alone. Point number three Paul makes in today's verses is that God is faithful to his church. Verse nine reiterates this important point. It says, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, God's faithfulness is now. God's faithfulness is in the present. As Christians, we often look back to what God has done in the past. This is modeled for us throughout Scripture. It is a good thing to do. We remember the past for encouragement in the present. And thinking about the past, we must not forget God is still at work. He's not walked away from his church. He will not abandon his people. The whole reason for Jesus to come into the world is to make for himself a covenant people. God's purposes hold true. This is an easy thing to forget in the ongoing experience of being part of a church. Christians were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God initiated the relationship. He's not going to walk away. Churches need to rely on God's 
faithfulness, not our own abilities. We cannot sustain the church. It doesn't matter how skilled we are. We may be able to keep the building open. Running programs is within our skill set. The church is not a building or a set of activities, though. It is a living community of people connected to God through Christ, invigorated by the Holy Spirit. Only God can call people to himself. The grace expressed through Christ is the foundation on which a person can grow in their relationship with God. The Holy Spirit sustains the Christian life. Focusing solely on our own abilities, what we can do and what we want to do, it separates us from God. It divides us from one another. That's what's happening in Corinth. It is the reason Paul is having to write this letter. They are gifted. Man, they are gifted. And they are trying. But their self-reliant efforts backfire, leading to division and chaos. A church that looks to God in three persons as the ultimate source will be a church that is a fellowship. It will be unified by a shared experience of grace that manifests itself in every interaction. Jesus Christ will be Lord. Paul's greeting to the church at Corinth in this letter is not a formality. He uses it as an opportunity to adjust the focus of his readers from where it is on their own abilities, thoughts, and desires, which have resulted in division, to where it needs to be on God's faithful provision for his church, which he created through calling believers into fellowship. God is still faithful to his church. He will not stop being faithful. It is still the case that individual Christians and churches have a tendency to ignore God's faithfulness. We focus on what we can do instead of what God has done for us and what God promises to do. The church belongs to God. Through Christ, God gives the church everything it needs, not just to survive, but to thrive. And God is faithful to his church. Churches that respond to God will be a united fellowship that God uses to continue his purposes in the world. Let's be that church. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we live in a divided world. And those divisions are a source of great grief to us in our personal lives. We see them again and again manifest themselves in our relationships, in our family relationships, in our friendships, in our work. Even as we just go out and do routine things in the world, we we feel the divisions, Lord. And it is so easy for those divisions to exist in the church. It is so easy for us to be divided when we look to ourselves, Lord. 
Lord, I pray that we would look to you. I pray that you would correct and shape our hearts, Lord. That you would take the focus off of our own abilities and, and desires, Lord. I thank you for the faith that has been shown in this church over, over the years, over the decades, Lord. And I pray that that faith would continue to manifest itself in new ways, Lord. I ask that you would be with us and that we would be known as a community by our unity, that in this time of darkness, that Byfield Parish would be a light of unity in the world that, that draws people in, that are looking for a break from the divisions that are so constant in our world. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.